Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Pirkei Avashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. Shimon ben Omer, Shimon, the son of Rabbi Benia, said, all of my days I grew up amongst the sages and I haven't found for my body anything as good as shtika, as silence and the learning is not the main thing but the doing is the main thing and the more words you say the person who, who speaks excessively, maybe hate brings sin. That's the mission of, of, of Shimon Beno, of Shimon Ben Gamliel. Okay. If you look very carefully at the mission, the mission is extremely problematic. The first is, is that what does it mean that Lomatsasi la guf tov? I haven't found anything as good for the body as because silence. Now, silence really would affect the soul, the, the nefesh, the neshama of a person. So why doesn't he say it in terms of that I've not found anything as good for my soul, for my spiritual existence as, as silence? Why call it lomatsasi la guf, that I haven't found anything as good for my body as silence? That's number one. Number two, all of my days, godalti benachachamim, I grew up amongst the rabbis, and I didn't find anything as good for my body except for silence. What does amongst the rabbis have to do with it? I grew up, I grew up my whole life. I was able to see, I'm a student of the world. I looked at things the way they are. And I see there's nothing as good as silence. What does it have to do with the sages? Why well, put it in terms of that I grew up amongst the sages and I found that there was nothing as good as silence. And third thing, is silence really the best? There are times where you have to say something. There are times where silence is actually the wrong reaction. There are times where you see something wrong in front of you where you're not allowed to be silent. And when you're silent, you are actually complicit. We just finished the whole Gemara in Dafyomi that talked about how when you, when you keep silent and when you say nothing, you don't, you, you don't um, protest the things around you, you yourself are held responsible for that particular thing. So what in the world does this mean? That I didn't find anything better than silence. It's not a universal thing, silence. Shlomo HaMelech speaks of silence in Mishlei. And he says, Gam ovil That he says that even a fool, if he's silent, will be thought of as a wise person. But we have other ways of saying that, you know, as soon as a person opens their mouth, then you know how, how silly they really are, right? You know, but if a person keeps quiet, they sound like a real chacham. Okay, shkayach, you might be fooled into thinking that they're a chacham, but just because you're silent doesn't make you wise. What in the world is Shlomo Melech saying? Gam avil That even a person who's quiet is going to be thought of as smart. Are we talking about the perception that people have? They're going to think you're smart? That's not a value. That's not something that we're, we're shooting for. What exactly did Shlomo Melech mean when he talked about silence and he said that a silent, even a fool that's silent is Chacham Yechashiv, is considered a wise person. Okay, the next piece of the Mishnah. Lo ha-medrash ha-ikr. You know, I realize it's, you know, it's early in the morning. 
but that's got to really disturb you. Lo Our whole lives, we talk about Limud Torah. We talk about Vitalmud Torah Keneged Kulam. What is the most important thing in Jewish life? Learning Torah. How in the world can you tell me that, oh, Lo it's not the learning that's the Iker, it's the Maisa. You know, that sounds like it's coming from a person who doesn't know how to learn. <laughs> yeah, it's a person who can't learn Torah. So he says, yeah, it's not the learning that's the main thing, it's the doing. Just be a good person, that's enough. Like, what are you saying? Learning is not the Iker? And then we say, anybody who speaks excessively brings sin. Now again, just, just keep, it, keep it honest. Didn't we just say in the Mishnah that the best thing is shtika, is silence? That means any words more than silence is no good. Why do you have to get to Marbe? Why do you have to get to a point of where you have excessive words? Oh, that's really bad. Any words are bad because you just told me that shtika is the best thing. If shtika is the best thing, anything short of shtika is no good. So you don't have to wait for a whole dissertation in order for it to be no good. As soon as you say a sentence, you've already entered into no good territory because shtika is the best thing. Therefore, words are no good. So what does it mean, v'chola marbe? And when do you hit marbe? It's like, you know, for, for a rabbi, look, look, you know who my hero is in speaking? Moshe Rabbeinu. 30-day drasha. Some say 33. Can you imagine? I can't get away with 33 minutes. 30-day drasha. Moshe Rabbeinu is talking his final words to the Jewish people. That, at what point did he hit Marbe? Yes, some of his, some of, you know, B'nai Yisrael, they would have said after three minutes, it was already marba. That was enough already. Right? Knows, where do you hit that point of Chola Marba? The more you do. And then, of, and then, of course, the question has to be asked what is the connective tissue between all of these statements in the Mishnah, between these three statements of the Mishnah? Okay, so I want to deal with this Mishnah on two levels. The one is the level that we have enjoyed doing many of the Mishnayos in this parak, and that's on the historical level. To understand who Shimon Beno Shalraman Gamliel, who he was, he lived in the last 20 years leading up to the destruction of the temple. He, he was the Nasi. He was the first of the 10 martyrs. We know that there are Asara Haruge Malchus, the 10 martyred Jews, spanned over a period of 60 years, even though when we read about them on Yom Kippur and when we read about them on um, Tishabav, it seems like they all happened in the same Kufa, in the same period of time. But in truth, they were spanning over 60 years. And this Rabbi Shimon was, a, was an incredible person. As the siege raged in over Yerushalayim, so there were Jewish factions that there were those that pushed war against Rome and those who were saying, don't fight against Rome, just give in to them. Let Rome rule the country. It's not going to do anything to you. It's not going to affect you in any way. Let them rule. We have our sacrifices. We have our temple. We have our religious Jewish life. They're not going to bother us. There were others that felt that, that Israel needed to be a sovereign state. It needed to be um, ruled by the Jews and not by the Romans. And they wanted to fight against them. Those people were called the Baryonim. This history is a fascinating piece of history, you know, which we spend a lot of time on when we talk, um, getting up closer to, to Tishabov. 
but they, it was it was futile. They couldn't persuade the zealots. We know the famous story of that there were three great men in Jerusalem that offered three storehouses that would have supported the city of Jerusalem in a siege for over 20 years. And the zealots went and burnt down those three storehouses so that the Jews in Jerusalem would be forced to fight against the Romans and not just and not, not defend themselves. When the Romans entered the city, then Rabbi, um, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, this, the first Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, was captured along with the Kohen Gadol, Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha. As they were being led to execution, Rabbi Shimon said to Rabbi Yishmael, he said, my teacher, my heart is, my heart is perturbed. I don't know why I'm being taken out to, to be executed. I don't know what I've done. So Rabbi Yishmael said to him, he asked him, did you ever delay the din of another person? That somebody came to you for judgment and you said, you know what, I'm, I'm busy. I'll try to get to you in a little while. And in that way, delayed their judgment, which the Torah says that we're not allowed to do, which is not something that you would always recognize as an Avera, as a transgression. It seems almost like part of life. And Rabbi Shimon said, said to him, you've comforted me because now I understand that I can't question God and question why this is happening because I haven't looked at all the details of my life. Rabbi Shimon wanted to die first because he didn't want to see Rabbi Yishmael. He didn't want to see him die and be murdered, be slaughtered. They took a lottery and in fact, Rabbi Shimon died first. Rabbi Yishmael lifted his head, his severed head, and he cried out, woe is the tongue that hastened to teach the words of beauty. How could it now lick the dust? This happened on the 25th of Sivan, that the two of them were martyred and the two of them were killed. Rabbi Shimon lived in a time where there were many Malshin and many people were giving people up to the Romans, where there were spies all over the place. Even in the Beis Medrash, even in the Sanhedrin, there were spies that anytime they would say something in the Sanhedrin that would smack of something negative to the government, to the Roman government, they would go and tell the government. Rabbi Shimon was very sensitive that not everything that you thought in your mind should you say on your lips. Rabbi Shimon understood that kol gadalti ben I matured, I grew up amongst the sages. I was a child in the Sanhedrin. This is my family. This is, this is what I knew as a child growing up. This is what I knew as an adult. I knew the Sanhedrin. I knew the Chachamim and for life, for the body, for physical existence, there's nothing as good as silence. You need to be careful and discerning with the things you say. You can't say everything that comes to your mind can't be on your tongue. And that's where Rabbi Shimon was coming from when he talked about this. But I think that it has to go much deeper. We know that when we were created, we were created with a thing called the Koach Adib, or the power of speech. When it says that God created man, it says that he blew life into his nostrils. The Aramaic translation of the Torah says at that point, that what does it mean that God blew life, the breath of life, the Ruach Chaim into his nostrils? It says Ruach Memalila, which means the spirit of speech. The thing that made us different than every other animal in the world was that we had the ability to speak. 
There is no animal in the world that can speak. There are animals that can communicate. There are animals that have some kind of form of animalistic speech. But human speech is only something that a human can do. And the koach hadibur, the power of speech, is the ability to be able to take what's living inside of our souls, what's living in the world of the neshama, and to bring that out into the, into the physical world, into the olam agashmi. And through that, we have an ability to be able to change ourselves. We have an ability to be able to control the world around us because we can take those thoughts and feelings, those understandings of the depth of life, and we can bring those understandings out into the world. That's called the Kawah Hadibur. That's what we say that the difference between a human being and an animal is that a human being has the ability to be able to say no. He has the ability to be able to frame himself, to talk about himself, and to decide what's acceptable and unacceptable for himself. You know, a lion can't decide to change his lot. A lion can't decide that he wants to become an ant. An ant can't decide that they're, they're tired of pushing a piece of bread around the world. You know what they want to do? They want to go, they want to bite people. They want to roar. It's very nice that he has that, you know, has that feeling, but he can't do anything about it. There is no way to take a feeling that he might have inside and to be able to turn that into actuality. A human being has the ability to look in a mirror and to say, I'm not happy with the way I am. I'm not happy with who I've become. I'm not happy with the things I do. And therefore, I want to change myself. And he has the ability to be able to use his words to frame what he wants to be, where he wants to go, what his goals are, what his dreams are, what his aspirations are. And through those words, he's able to bring them into reality, into physicality. And he can change the world that he lives in. What is the koach hashtika? What is the opposite of the koach hadiba, the power of speech? The opposite of the power of speech is the koach, is the power to be silent. The koach hashtika. Esther had the power to be silent. She had the power of not saying what she needed to say and what she wanted to say. And what is that koach hashtika? Where do we see that in the Torah? We see it from Aaron. Aaron's two sons die, and the Torah tells us that what was Aaron's reaction? Vayidom Aaron, total silence. If you look at that on the surface, though, there's something perplexing. His sons died on the day of the inauguration of the temple. It was the most moving day. His entire life was for that moment, was leading up to that moment where he was going to become the Kohen God of the high priest. And he has a certain thing that he has to eat, things that he has to do. And now his two sons, his two flesh and blood die because they stepped out of a line on the day of the inauguration of the temple. You would imagine that you would cry. You would imagine there would have been a sound that emitted from him and the Torah tells us, Vayidoim Aaron, and Aaron was completely silent. Now, silence can be explained sometimes by fear. There are times where we become so frightened that we just simply can't say anything, that we're so in awe. If you ever go in America to the Grand Canyon, the Grand Canyon, you stand there on the, the beautiful outlook over the Grand Canyon. It's amazing how silent it is. People talk in hushed tones because they're standing in such awe of the, of the Bria, of the creation, and of that which God created. You're, 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 you're almost knocked into silence. When a person is filled with a sense of Yira, a sense of awe of Hashem, so then there is a silence. When a person is afraid of something on a very simple level, you, you often can't find your words. If a person becomes frightened, though they want to scream, but very often you can't even find that voice to be able to scream. 
That's one explanation of silence. The other explanation of silence is shtika kihoda, that we're silent because we agree. Why do I need to say anything? I agree with everything you just said. My silence is acquiescence. In the legal system, there is such a reality that when you're silent, when somebody says something, it's as if you have verbally agreed with them. But there is a third type of silence. And the third type of silence is that you're silent because you're trying to take in everything. You're trying to process, to listen, to hear, to understand. You're still trying to get an understanding. You get a visualization of the big picture. God shows Moshe Rabbeinu what's going to be in the future. And Moshe sees Rabbi Akiva. And God shows Moshe when he's up on the top of Mount Sinai, he shows Moshe the death of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Akiva being slaughtered. Moshe Rabbeinu looks at God and says, Zu Torah this, is, this is the Torah and this is its schar. This is the reward that you get for Torah is to be killed in such, in, in such a brutal way. And God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Shtoik, be quiet. You don't talk to people like that. Moshe Rabbeinu is asking a valid question. Explain it to him. Give him the reason. Why would you say shtok to him? Because what God was saying to Moshe Rabbeinu was, now is not a time to talk. Now is a time to take it in. Take it in. Process. Look at it in the context of the big picture, and it will look completely different. The Mishnah says later, that shtika silence is a siyag lechachma. It is a fence for wisdom. The reason that it's a fence for wisdom is because it allows you to hear, to listen, to process, to bring things in your head. You know what's happening when you're talking? When you're talking, it's like sticking your fingers in your ear and not hearing a thing. When you're engaged in talking, when you're speaking, you can't hear things. You can't process things at the same time. And that's why... Shtika is a siyag, it's a fence for chachma, for wisdom. You're going to become wise if you're silent, because when you're silent, you're listening. That was the silence of Aaron. It wasn't coldness. It wasn't Aaron looking at it saying, okay, my kids died, big deal. It was Aaron looking at it and saying, Vayidaim Aaron, I need to take this in and to understand this. That's what Shlomo Melch is saying to us. Gam evil macharish, that even a fool who is silent, not that we're going to consider him wise, that's called wisdom. Because even a person who's normally foolish, and a foolish person, by the way, when you learn Mishlei, you will understand this, that a fool in Scripture, there are a few different types. One of the types of fools that are described in Scripture is a person who, is in, who does not take in the whole picture. A person, when we say uksil lo yovinazos, if you remember back to the second Mishnah, we talked about this, that a fool will not understand this, means will not understand the full picture. Fools see a part of the picture and they draw a conclusion. They rush to a conclusion. They don't get the whole thing. You know, a lot of times you walk into a, into a situation, you hear a word, you think you know exactly what they're talking about, you offer an opinion, you realize they weren't talking about anything that you thought they were talking about. The conversation is in a whole different place. But because you were 
a xil. You were like a fool in that you didn't stop to listen and to think. A xil. Even a person who normally does not listen to the whole conversation, even a person who does not take in the whole thing, but when he is macharish, when he is silent, so then chacham yechashev. That's called chachma. That's called wisdom. And that's what Shimon Benoi was saying. Shimon ben Gamliel was saying, Loi matsasi leguf toiv. That our body wants to talk. Our body wants to use our physical power to speak, to react. Something happens, we want to share something. We want to say something. You know, we're talking in a group of people, somebody says something and an idea pops in your head. You want to say that. You just want to share. We don't want to be silent. We want to be part of a conversation. We want to be part of a group. So we want to share something of ourselves. And that's our initial reaction. Our initial reaction is to say something. Our initial reaction is to speak. Says Rabbi Shimon, that lo matsasi laguf taiv, I found nothing as good for the body, for the physical existence, for using self-control than to control my dibur, than to control my speech, than to exercise silence in the face of speech but more importantly, to exercise self-control in the face of impetuosity, in the face of just a reaction, I, there's nothing as good as controlling yourself. And there's nothing as good as controlling yourself when it comes to speech, which is our greatest physical asset. He says, I grew up around the Chachamim, and they were the safest and the smartest when they were quiet. They lived the longest. They rose the highest. They became the most respected. Not when they were silent in that they never spoke, but when they were able to control their speech. It's all about learning how to be in control. And that's the next thing that he says. The measure of a chacham is not the amount of book knowledge that he has. The measure of a chacham is not, he can, he can have a library the size of Montana, but that does not make him a chacham. He can know, he can do a pin test on every Gemara that doesn't make him a chacham. A chacham is Hamasa, is living with that Chochmah. And what is the key of living with Chochmah is learning self-control. And as long as we learn self-control, that's the real measure of the wisdom and the knowledge and understanding that we have. And that's his third statement. V'chol hamarbe devarim. There's nothing wrong with speech. Shtika is the most important thing. That means being in control. Marbedvarim means that you're not in control. Marbedvarim could be one sentence. Marbedvarim is not a quantifiable thing. When do you hit Marbedvarim? As soon as what you're saying is not controlling yourself. As soon as when you're talking without any control and barrier, when you have no filter, that's when you are marbedvarim. And that's 
what Shimon was, Rabbi Shimon was trying to teach us. What he was trying to teach us is you need to be in control of yourself. Shtika, with your actions, you need to take your learning and use it to control and to define your life. With your words, you need to always be in control. And that's the message of Rabbi Shimon. That's the connective tissue between all three of the statements that he made. And that's the connective tissue to his life. His life was a life where he saw what happens when you're not in control, when you're impetuous, when you just say words, when you react, you're reactive, and you react to the, to the, to the government, you react to the Romans. Justifiably, the Romans were horrific. But when you weren't measured, when you didn't think things out, that's when you were in trouble. I grew up amongst smart people and I understood what a smart person was. A smart person is a person who's in control. 